The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. It's showtime, and we are finally, finally, finally going to do something that we've been talking about since before we started doing this podcast. Still not sure I'm settled on 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 my fi- I, I mean I could revise this again and again and again. Absolutely. And if that's part of my, that was criteria to do was, this draft, it would end up different. And that was part of my problem with it is that it, there was so many different criteria and part of it was just who I liked and part of it was okay, longevity and part of it was stats and then I just I got so deep into my own head trying to figure it all out. I walked away from it for a while and then I came back and it took long didn't take long to get me back into the frustration mode. So it was yeah, the for anybody who wants to attempt it and maybe it's easier for some of you than others and and you have the the Corsi and the all the other stats you want to use Ugh. but this was not easy, and this draft in and of itself is not easy to try and pick a first round. Uh, I will – I mean, I set up not especially huge rules uh, to start it right away because I knew if I fell down the rabbit hole, I would still be attempting to put together my list uh, a month from now, and that's really not an exaggeration. I fell down um, the rabbit hole. <laughs> And if I'm going to ever redraft another, do another redraft. Um, I'd want to start earlier in the day for one thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I legitimately spent more than six hours putting together the redraft. Um, it might have been closer to eight. I, I don't even want to think about it because some of you who were following me on Twitter uh, when I started it, um, you saw me tweet my rules and then – my final call list. It took me over two hours to get to the eighth player on the list. And we're probably going to start in reverse order. Um, and, and, uh, work up to the top. Um, I'm not that big of a fan of rules, but having guidelines probably saved me another legitimately saved me another 10 or 12 hours. Uh, because otherwise I would have had 31 columns of stats and uh, figured out how to use Excel well enough to sort all of them sequentially. Um, yeah, it, it's no, it, it's not an easy thing to do. And the fact that this draft is legitimately deep and legitimately probably has maybe as many as 40 guys who are 40 who are first round draft picks um, says a lot. It's. I'm more convinced than ever that this is the best draft uh, in NHL history. They. And look in, in in research that I've done. They compared it to the 19. I want to say 79 draft where they had. Uh, I believe some guy named Bork was drafted. Ah. Uh, and I'm trying to think of who other, yeah, you know, guys like, I don't know, Hall of Famers like Mike Gartner, um, Mike Felino was drafted. I mean, Ray Bork in that draft was eighth overall to Boston. Yeah. 
okay, it's not quite the 45th overall for Patrice Bergeron in 03, but if you were to go back and look at 1979 all over again, uh, where do the where do the guys fall? Because Ray Bork would probably have to go number one overall. There's I can't think of a single category, a single way to make Ray Bork not the number one, unless you're going with Mark Messier. And even there, I'm not sure I love the change. I, I could live with Mark Messier going number one in that draft. Um, we, I mean, we know he he brought. Well, the considering com- he didn't go until the third round, I mean, he'd definitely move up. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's really not anyone else that you you could make the claim for, particularly if you're talking about individual awards. Um, because uh, and that's one of the things that I use to weight mine. Um, and that was that was that was the the draft before the uh, the miracle on ice uh, against the Russians. So you got guys like Dave Christian are in the draft. Neil Broughton's in the draft. Uh, I mean, there are some Mike big Polino, names. Guy Carbono. Guy Carbono is another one for. I mean, Hall of Famer for, Matt for Montreal. I mean, again, another big draft. So most of what I see, I mean, one of the Stastny brothers, Anton Stastny, got drafted and got picked in that draft. Most of what I see is 2003 is the greatest, but how much better is it than the 79 draft? It's to me, it's still the best draft class there is. 79 comes in a close second. And I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what the next best draft class is. Yeah, after I, that, forget about it. <laughs> I, the gap, the gap is going to be huge. I mean, you can talk about the Crosby, uh, the Crosby draft as having some really great players. You can talk about the, yeah. the Ovechkin, um, Malkin draft as having two premier players in it, but. After those two, it's a lot softer. Well, does, I mean, the gap between the two best players in that draft. Does Anze Kopitar go 11th overall and if you redo 2005? <laughs> does David Krejci make it to 63? Uh, a guy who twice led the playoffs in scoring, does he make it to 63? What year was he? He was 2004. Okay. And in, uh, 2000, and in 2005, which was the Crosby draft. Yeah. You know, and then, but then there's Bobby Ryan, Jack Johnson. Oh, wait, some guy named Carey Price was taken fifth overall. But Anze Kopitar fell all the way to, to the Kings at 11. Does he still fall to 11? No. <laughs> some guy named Tuka Rask in that year was taken 21st. Does he still go that high? No. Okay, we got to stop picking on two. No. <laughs> um. So let's actually before we dive into the draft, into our. Yeah, re- I imagine we must have other things to talk about besides just this draft. Uh, I want to take uh, five minutes uh, or or a few minutes and talk about the next team. The next team. Okay. Uh, yep, the, the Toronto is getting a second pro team. 
Toronto is getting another team. Toronto is getting another team. I clearly missed this. Okay. Um, hey, expansion happens even during uh, quarantine. All right. I'm writing it down. Toronto, second team. The NWHL uh, is adding a women's team um, as soon as play res- uh, as soon as play resumes. Excellent. They're listening to me and they're expanding. And I they've already got multiple players signed. Nice. Um, I think they announced. I think when they first made their announcement, they had five to six. Um, Five to six players signed at that point, and that was three or four days ago. Um, uh, four days ago, on the 22nd, was the announcement. Um, whenever the sixth season of the NWHL uh, begins, mm-hmm. will be a part of it. Um, I... I'm glad that I'm, I'm glad they're expanding. We've talked about it on the show. We've talked about it here on the show before. This is something that has to happen. There's too much talent in the women's game right now that they should be not getting some kind of recognition. More this, importantly, there's too much demand. This has I mean, to happen. Demand for women's hockey and women's sports in general at the professional level. Um, and you really can't ignore um, you can't ignore hockey and uh, you can't have hockey without Toronto. Um, it's the biggest city in Canada. Um, it's, um, it's, it's the a, home of the hockey hall of fame. It, it's, it, it's Go ahead. no, I was just gonna say it's home of the hockey hall of fame. Uh, clearly, there's a there's a, a storied franchise with the Toronto Maple Leafs. There, uh, you're talking about the country that that gave us hockey. This is Maybe. it. Well, it they should have a women's team. Boston has a women's team. Uh, and I, what I love about this uh, is, in in a way, the reverse symmetry. Uh, the National Hockey League started in Canada and expanded to the U.S. This is the sixth team for the uh, NWHL and the first Canadian team with five uh, north five teams across the U.S. in Buffalo, Boston, Connecticut, uh, the New York metro area, and then Minnesota. Um, be interesting to see if Seattle uh, makes a serious play. Uh, they're pretty distant from everybody. I mean, Minnesota is the only team that's even really close to them. I think that is close only in terms of continental distances. One thing Uh, that I do believe as far as this is concerned, they're they're expanding and yeah, they're adding a team in Toronto. I don't think that you can immediately add a team 3000 miles away when no, I think that they need to spread uh, smartly, I guess, is the I don't know how else to phrase it. Yeah. You know, your next team needs to be, you know, somewhere west of New York, but not California. You know, St. Louis, maybe. Yeah, something like that. 
you need to you need to track it across the country and then expand then you can expand road games you can expand season and number of games and everything else but you can't just immediately start adding teams on the west coast and you got this big void in the middle of the country oh absolutely you also get the marketing um advantage of being able to cover multiple cities in a region uh when you go with uh, teams that have you know some geographic overlap in regions, um, and that's not something you can ignore. Uh, I mean, maybe if you're willing to stretch it out, you go down the mid-Atlantic and try for uh, DC um, as a as a potential team. Uh, possibly you could do, I mean, Chicago or Detroit um, might work as well. Um, I'm assuming another Canadian team would mean either Montreal or Quebec City um, first. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, for Quebec City, it might be not so much a consolation prize, but certainly a proving ground uh, for them to say, look, we can support this women's team. Um, there's absolutely no reason that uh, the NHL shouldn't come back to town. Have you ha- have you entered your selection for what they should name the team? <laughs> I have not entered my selection. Um, I'm hoping that they're going to come up with something better than the Maple Leafs, um, which, while iconic, is bland. Um, the Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> Do we really need to talk about bad hockey team names again? <laughs> I haven't come up with anything. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just glad. I, I, I'm, I'm glad. Happy, I guess, would be more appropriate. I'm happy to see that there is expansion. There is growth. This is, as I've said before and said again today, this is something that needs to happen. Uh. And good for them. I, I think it's a. I think it's a really good, uh, really good step forward. Really good move. Awesome. Uh, let's. Uh, okay. Let's uh, jump into our drafts. I'm gonna let you do start. We have, do we not have anything else to talk about? Really? Uh, we'll mix it in. Okay. <clears throat> Why don't you start with uh, 31 through 26 on your board? My board sucks, my board. <laughs> but I could redraft the whole thing and say that again. Uh, I probably should have put this guy higher, but uh, I don't know. The This is where the whole my head get in the way of things. But I got at 31, I have Thomas Vanek, and I moved him down only because offensively extremely gifted, defensively. Um, well, I guess the phrase not so much, not so much comes to mind. Yeah. Uh, at 30 and after talking to you, I probably should have left this guy off, but I, I, his longevity just, but then again, everybody on this list has some kind of longevity. Uh, at 30, I put Stepniak. He's been around. He's been parts of, of, uh, I mean, how many times has he been to the Bruins for one thing? I mean, uh, I know I, I'm not a big fan of the player, but. I looked at the longevity and I looked at, I just, somehow I just, every time I came back to, I need somebody to fill in. He, his name just kept propping up. Uh, 
Uh, 29, this guy I definitely should have put higher. But the fact that he hasn't – the fact that he, he was stuck on so many uh, questionable teams, it, I don't think it was his fault. But And, I yeah, I definitely should have put him higher. Yarrow Halak at 29. As much as I like him, I can't believe I put him down so low. But I'm a little uh, surprised too. Well, I couldn't put him number one, which is where I thought about putting him for like a, a whole of a tenth of a second. Um, <laughs> at number 28, at this guy, another guy that uh, – anyway, L.A. Kings, captain, Dustin Brown. At the resurgence. He was a hard one for me. I, I just didn't know where to slot him because talent's there, but he's not like that – prolific goal scorer guy but he's physical he's play he's always there he's always in front of the net and and then the resurgence that he had two years ago and and i don't know where he got his 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 youth pills but i want some (laughs) you and everyone else over the age of 28 (laughs) uh number 27 i struggled to try and find this guy a spot so this is where i slotted him in because uh, I don't know. I expect my defenseman to play defense. Um, <laughs> did I say that out loud? I got to stop doing that. Say it louder. Say it louder. <laughs> did I expect my defenseman to play defense? So, yes. yes, I slotted in Brent Burns at 27. You can't deny that the guy can put the puck in the net, but he needs to know. Unlike Thomas Vanek, who's a forward, yes, it would be nice if he played some defense. But when when defense is actually in the name of your position, perhaps you should play it sometimes. Uh, and then 26 is another defenseman. And again, this guy is more defensive, defensive minded. Um, but he was he was tough to get around when he when he played uh, Tobias Enstrom. I struggled with where to put him for a really long time. Um. Most of you know, uh, or any of you who are following me on Twitter and were looking on Saturday, uh, the day before we recorded, um, know that I sort of put brackets together for uh, where I expected people to go just going based off of stats and longevity um, before I, you know, injected things like awards and the rest. Um, And Enstrom... I'm trying to remember where on my list he is, and I can't. Uh, um, so we'll get to that at some point. Um, interesting. I don't think we have any. I'm not sure how much overlap we have in that bottom five. No, uh, bottom probably. six. Um, certainly no one for ones. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, so for me. Yes. Uh, he was originally drafted at 21. Um, I think he was severely underutilized uh, on the team that drafted him. He then ended up in one of the worst own uh, under one of the worst ownerships in, in the last 50 or more years of sports uh, in, in America. Um, but he still ended up uh, top 30 for games uh, played in the class. High end defensive defenseman. And 
when he decided he needed to fight, he fought mean. <laughs> he really fought mean. Um, Mark Stewart. Mark uh, Stewart. Yeah, I like I, I like Mark Stewart. I I put him in a little higher, but probably should have knocked him back. Yeah, my list, like I said, is all over the place, and some of the guys are slotted in where they. But yeah, Mark Stewart was fun to watch here in Boston. Uh, sad that he had to go, especially during the cup season. Um, yes, and tough honestly, time to get, that annoyed tough me time to get I have always, pretty much always been a big uh, fan. fan. Yeah, I know. And and, um, and number thirty, uh, drafted at seventy four. Um, I was looking at some of the advanced stats while trying to sort guys a little bit higher up the list. Uh huh. And then I noticed that this guy was like sixth or seventh on the list for uh, points per 60 minutes at very nearly two. And that's, and that's also with under 50% offensive zone starts. Um, it's really too bad. This guy has been injured so much. Um, Clark MacArthur really, really deserves a little bit more recognition. Uh, Matt Carroll. Can't argue with that. Drafted at 47 uh, at 20. I'll, I have him at 29. Solid defender out of the USHL. Good defense. Didn't take bad penalties. Um, 27. Uh, oh no! Wait a minute. 28 uh, was Matt Molson. Um, Matt Molson's another. Was twice. Matt Molson's Thomas Vanek wrapped in a different color. Um, I think Matt Molson made slightly more effort in the defensive zone. Okay. Say any. <laughs> um, 97 goals and three 30 plus goal seasons in his first three seasons. Um, yeah, he came out, he, he came out of the gates like a house, like, like a, like a thoroughbred. I mean, he thought he was going to light it up. When he first came up, when he first hit the scene, and he did, but then the cliff came faster than I than I'm sure he expected. Um, yeah, it it it, he, <laughs> it 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 seems like he got pushed off the cliff almost because I don't know how you go from scoring 30 goals to like 14. Um, I don't know if there was. At this point, I don't remember if it was injuries, off-ice issues. Um, not sure. And then number 27, a guy who most of us in the East Coast didn't see very much, uh, Jan Heide. Um He played 51.8% of his team's shorthanded time on ice, leading, number, leading second place by um, close to 10 percentage points. Uh, that mm-hmm. by itself is enough to get someone on the list for me. Okay. Uh, your next five. Where did he play again? I uh, he was out in Colorado. Oh, okay. So Colorado, who is defensively um, challenged, 
why am I not surprised that he played? I mean, I mean, you get a good defender out there. I mean, they've worn the well, heck out of Eric Johnson, so. <laughs> well, actually, he played in three teams. He played for Edmonton uh, first mm-hmm. because Buffalo didn't know what to do with him, apparently. Apparently. Um, he then played for the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, before they ever made. Oh, wow. He played in their first playoff series in uh, 08-09. And then, um, then he played for Colorado to finish up his career for four seasons. Uh, did you do number twenty six yet? Oh, number twenty six, number twenty six. That was uh, oh, um, two thirty goal seasons. One of them on the shady side of thirty, mm-hmm. and a um, performance in the World uh, Juniors for Sweden. The one, the only Louis Erickson. Fair enough. Uh, I'm not gonna argue with where you slot him in. I mean, he, he's there. I, I I didn't know what to do with Louis. Uh, one of many. Uh, as far as twenty, are we going twenty-five through whatever? Okay. Yeah, that's five. Twenty-five. Ugh, you've already mentioned him. I moved him up a little bit, and I think that that's partly because of. The hometown he got he got the hometown bump, possibly, uh, and I liked his physicality. But at 25, I had Mark Stewart. He didn't have the longevity of some of these other guys, some of the other guys. But when he was out there, you got 110 percent from him. Yeah. Uh, I slotted this guy into 24. I didn't know quite where to fit him. I I, but. I I thought you had to fit him in somewhere, didn't you? I, I don't know. I you don't have to. I mean, you could make the argument that Kostitsin should be fit in somewhere. No, you couldn't because he didn't play long enough. Uh Brodziak, Kyle Brodziak, and it might be a little high for him. And again, if I redrafted my own redraft, I'd probably move him down into the into the high twenties. But I could say that about a bunch of my players at number twenty three. Uh, another defenseman, and, and again, defensemen that play a lot of shorthanded time on ice deserve to be picked. I put Jan Hader. Hey, I'm, I've heard that name before. Yeah, at number twenty-two, and I'm not sure that this is a guy who made your list. And and again, redrafting, I would move him down a little bit, but I needed to fit him in, fit him in somewhere. I like guys who are two-way players. And we're going to find one of the best ones as we move forward in this list. Uh, but this was a guy who didn't score a lot of goals, and that's why he's not up at the top. But I, I just, I guys who give everything and play in every zone and don't. Uh, at 22, I slotted in Drew Miller. Interesting. And, like yeah, I said, not, probably would probably would have moved him down a little bit, but. Yeah, he did. He, I think what hurts him is the is the offensive output. But as far as two way players killing penalties, he was a guy that did it all. And then at twenty one, and again a little bit high for this guy. I think I shifted. I think I need to shift everything down five spots. <laughs> uh, twenty one, I slotted in Clark MacArthur because again, this is a guy who you can't leave off the list. Not with what he's done. Huh. But again, a little bit high for a little bit higher than he probably should be. 
Go okay. ahead. Um, 25 for me was a guy I did not have in my original list. Mm-hmm. I went through the draft class. I took, I grabbed uh, 37 guys to somehow fit into 31 spots. Mm-hmm. And Mike Richards wasn't on the list. He, he's been out of hockey for years. He had some serious issues that were alluded to in the media. Uh, but I forgot Mike how Richards. good a player he was. You left Mike Richards off? <gasps> Okay, He's I been question. out of the league since 2016. Uh-huh. And his last two seasons really weren't very season-y. Um, <laughs> he had An two interesting really way to put it, junior, but okay. Uh, appearances, but he's still in the top 20 in assists in this draft class. Uh-huh. I mean, three, uh, three or four seasons of people having a free shot to pass you, and you're still top 20? Yeah, I, I couldn't ignore it. Um, he was a really strong two-way forward when he when he was healthy and um, reasonably clean. Fair enough. Um, and he was originally drafted at 25. Uh, it wasn't a plan to put him there, um, but when I compared him to some of the other guys, it made more sense. Fair enough. Um, 24. Um, this guy fell a lot. Um, mostly because he fell off the cliff um, a little bit earlier than I really think he probably should have. Um, and never, he also never had great support around him, but I still couldn't justify not taking him. Uh, so originally taken at number six, number 24 is Milan Mahalik. Um, He's a guy that I needed to find a spot for. Uh, I need to swap somebody out. <laughs> Stepniak's gone. We're going to put Mahalik in. <laughs> um, number – this one was a guy I I have a great deal of respect for his effectiveness, but he's never going to be the best – he's never going to be the best known player on his team, and if he is, you're in trouble. Okay. Um. For those who didn't really pay that much attention or weren't paying attention to the 08 draft, uh, 03 draft, this was the draft for defensemen, uh, according to everyone who knew anything about it. And it's turned out to be as strong defensively, maybe even stronger defensively than it is at forward, which is saying a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Braden Coburn. Uh, number 23 for me. Um, I, I really like his game. He's not flashy, but you have to respect uh, the ability and the, above all the consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy was originally drafted a couple of places higher. Uh, I think he's defensively absent in 99% of his games. Um, he's been <laughs> repeatedly moved to forward, uh, across mm-hmm. his career. But mm-hmm. he's offensively gifted, uh, too gifted not to draft um, and not to draft towards the middle of the draft where he's been taken. Um, Brent Burns. Wow. 
Um, and it annoys me to have to put him quite that high. <laughs> I wanted you to say something. I just didn't know how to drag it out of you. <laughs> and uh, number 21. Yes. Uh, despite the fact that this guy has played most of his career on teams that did their best to ruin him. Um, and I mean that both in the quality of product in uh, on the ice with him. And in terms of what's go- what went on in management, um, but I've been a big fan his entire career. Uh, Yaroslav Halak, originally taken at seventy one. Yaro Halak, I definitely screwed him over. I should have had him a lot higher. I think uh, I um, think that I think Thomas Dakin had an effect on my draft. Um, not enough apparently. If you couldn't finish. No, that's the uh, problem. It might have he might have had too much of an effect. <laughs> so where are we? Number twenty. Yes. See, see my draft. Everybody needs to shift down five to somewhere between five and ten spots. Number twenty. I needed now. Number twenty was a spot that I just kept blank for a while, even after I hadn't finished and, and finished. But number twenty uh, definitely shouldn't be at number twenty, but definitely should be on this list is Louis Erickson. Interesting. But number 20 is too high for him, I think. Uh, and and as you pointed out, doesn't have a 20-goal season. But he's another no, no. one of those two-way players. And no, Louis Erickson has solid two-way uh, – has two 30-goal seasons. Two 30-goal seasons, okay. Um, I don't know. I think 20 might be a little high for him, though, uh, Maybe not. I, it, this is the problem with this draft is you can make arguments for and against a lot of these players. I mean, he was originally drafted at 33. I don't believe that there are 33 players better than him in the, uh, in this draft class. Um, I wouldn't necessarily put him in my top 10. But yeah, I, I can I can understand 20. No, here's here. Herein lies the problem is that at 19. I slotted in Matt Molson. Clearly too high. Should be down in the low 20s, like 22, 23, 24, somewhere in there. But there he is. And number 18. <sighs> number 18, this guy, he, he, and, he and another teammate from this draft uh, both went home to Minnesota Big splash, both make signing nine-year contracts, uh, uh, the, the whole or whatever it was, you know, the whole the whole thing of going back to Minnesota. But Zach Parise should be on this list. I have him at eighteen. It, the talent is there. I think the injury bug hurts him. Yeah. Uh, the the difficulty of staying on the ice. But the talent is clearly there. Uh, the ability to put the puck in the net. I got him at 18. Um, at 17, you talked about him a few minutes ago. I've got him a little bit higher than you. Mike Richards. Yep. And at 16, another guy that you've... No, wait a minute. You might not have mentioned this guy yet. Uh, defenseman. One of the best defensive defensemen, as you put it. And I... Don't have an issue with it, with that statement. Number sixteen, Mark Mathot. 
Yeah. I, I think that anyone redrafting this class who leaves him off clearly didn't pay any attention to him on the ice. I mean, they That's- brought him in. They brought him in in Dallas to shore up a defense that was heavy on offensive-minded defensemen. Skishy, even, skishy, even though, skishy, and that was what a year or two ago. Defense. Even though he's well into his career, they needed him to come in and, and shore that up. So, uh, yeah, you can't argue with with the talent on, with the performance on the ice with him. Okay, so you're number twenty. My turn. Yes, number twenty. I actually struggled hard with the twenty position. Um, As did I. Uh, honestly, from one to ten was brutal. From <laughs> seventeen was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but like seventeen, sixteen, seventeen through like twenty-five. Yeah, um, yeah nearly that middle ground where you can move people in and out, and then it, uh, yeah, it's that middle third that's kind of like uh um, so number 20, yes. uh, originally he, he actually slipped a little bit in this draft class. And I think, I think most people being honest would be even big fans of the team and, uh, and him and this player, uh, would admit that, yeah, there probably are, uh, there probably are at least, uh, this many guys better than him in the draft class. Um, absolute workhorse. One of the guys you really can't win without, and most guys probably would prefer to tr- not to try to win without him. Uh, he's played both wings up and down the ice, um, had a couple of soft years in the middle of his career to date, and then uh, picked his game back up, Dustin Brown. Ah, I love Dustin Brown. Always have. I, I don't know what it is about it, but yeah, I've always – Always, always like Dustin Brown. Um, next guy up is someone who fell noticeably. Um, and I don't necessarily think that there's a lot wrong with this guy. Um, but mm-hmm. I don't know that – well, he's never managed to steal the spotlight consistently. When other players have been injured, he's looked really good, like elite, easy Hall of Famer, good in really short spans a couple of times in his career. Um, but he seems to retract heavily. Well, retract back to simply being very, very good. Um, and that, uh, that is something that just sort of, uh, I don't like, um, you hit your best and you choose to go backwards Yes. Uh, Who are you I picking at number 18? You drafted at 7, 19 for me. Who is this? Ryan Suter. All the way down to 17 or 18? Because you 19. haven't done 18 yet. That was 19. 19? Yes. Wow. Well, the rambling. Move. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, one of the best centers in salary cap error. Uh, if he had had healthier hips, uh, there's no telling how much higher he'd be. Uh-huh. Uh, usually taken at number 23, moving up to the 18 spot, Ryan Kessler. Yeah, I think the hips do him in, but he he was one of the toughest guys in the faceoff dot to, to beat. 
Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, he, and I mean, so he tough. was one of the best two-way centers I've ever seen. Um, people talk about Datsuk. Yeah, Datsuk had more speed and agility, but Datsuk was not nearly as capable physically of holding off big players um, or taking or taking solid hits to hold on to a puck um, or delivering what them. What Datsuk were you watching? They... Uh, the real one. Okay. Man, Detroit fans think exists, but the real one. The, the well, part of the problem is that they called him. They called him a wizard and a magician for obvious reasons. Uh, the problem with taking the puck away from him wasn't that he couldn't hold on to it. The problem was that nobody could take it away from him. Uh, they uh, couldn't take it away from him by trying to outskate him. No, because he was a. He was one of the best skaters that uh, the league has ever seen. So, uh, and 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 how many Selkie awards has Kessler won? Uh, he's won one. How many Selkie awards has uh, Datsuk won? Um, Datsuk wasn't head to head with Bergeron at the peak of his career. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. See, you didn't actually answer the question. The question was, how many did Datsuk win? Uh, I don't remember. That would be more than one. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> okay, moving on. 17. <laughs> uh, goaltender with the best uh, save percentage of any goalie in the class, even rebounding nicely from a couple of concussions. Uh, he's won a couple of cups. I couldn't quite put him higher uh, because he did have um, some of the best defensemen and one of the best defensive cores in the league in front of him for a couple of years. Uh, but Corey Crawford isn't a guy you can ignore. No, you can't. No, no. Uh, I'm sorry. How many Stanley cups for him? Yeah. Okay. It's at least it's two, I believe. Uh, yes, no. because I believe Niemi was in, I, I believe it was Niemi. No, Urbe Niemi, Niemi was they in that for the first time. But he's not in this draft class. So irrelevant. Just like yes. that. 16. Um, yeah, this one fell out of the high end of the draft. Uh, all I can say and will say about him is he is the most aggressively average player at being above average in the <laughs> draft class. Okay. Uh, Thomas Vanek, originally taken five. He's 16 on my list. Yeah, he, he wouldn't go five. I mean, it. it it's it's amazing with him as to where he could possibly fit. Like I said, I've got him lower. Thirty one's probably too low, but I don't know that I'd have him in the middle of the teens either. So maybe I, I could so I could probably swap Molson for Vanek and and still get arguments both ways. So offensively, I mean pure offense, he's one of the tops in the draft class, so it's hard to ignore. That's why he was still playing. Um, That's why he was still getting traded around last last season. He was still getting moved from here to there because he can still score goal. I mean, did he? I don't know, but the belief was that he could still score goals, especially on the power play. I mean, he's like four points out of being in the top five in uh, for the draft class. It's hard to it's hard to ignore that. 
I mean, he fell because of the rest of his play, but moving him further down, I just couldn't, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, On to number 15. Actually, we're going to jump to another topic for a little bit and uh, And then then come back to the top half of the draft. All right. What do you got? Well, it's more of a question of what we have. And Uh, we have, um, let's see. Oh. Yes. Um, my computer is misbehaving. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's this little tiny topic that uh, came up. Larry Brooks uh, of the New York Post uh, tossed it out uh, either late last night or early this morning. Uh, you're about to break our streak of four weeks in a row. Um, but this one's important. Okay. Uh, it was late last night. Uh, the NHL restart plans have intensified. Um, it's uh, the NHL and NHLPA uh, are ratcheting up communication. Um, and it looks like uh, from the heavyweights on the teams, Batman, Daly, Campbell, um, McDavid, Tavares, uh, Shifley uh, for the players. We could see um, we could see things actually happen. And there, uh, one of the interesting quotes um, from uh, Deputy Commissioner Daly. Um, everything depends on the facts and an entire set of circumstances, but no, we do not believe that one positive test or even multiple positive tests would necessarily shut the whole thing down. Um, and that says to you, that's huge. That's a huge retreat from everybody must be safe 100% of the time in a collision sport where, Get uh, check, correct me if I'm wrong. More guys have died from uh, on ice injuries in the last 25 years than uh, highly and then communicable disease. Uh, but hey, um, yeah, I without diving too far into the topic, um, and we'll note we still haven't mentioned the name of the thing. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. Uh what do you think? I I I think that the I think that I want to see a return to sports playing and 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 a return to some semblance of of normalcy. I'm glad that they're putting together I'm glad they're putting together as a, a return to play committee, as they as they called it. They've had conference calls. I, I I don't know how. I still don't know how conducive it is to other sports starting up, uh, because if they're still following guidelines of social distancing, and I mean the bench is the bench in a hockey game. I mean. 
yes, in basketball, can you have them sitting scattered in the stands and they can just run down onto the court? Yeah, you can't do that in a hockey game wearing skates, sitting up in the crowd, you know, two to three seats between players. I think that unfortunately hockey has to be a little bit more wary of, of those kinds of guidelines. On the other hand, hockey players are wearing face shields that will deflect a lot of the a lot of their breath down back onto their own clothing effectively. But it's and it's not going open. to travel anywhere near as far as like an open mask like you see in football or no mask like in uh, basketball or baseball. But there's still it, it's just a shield. It only goes down as far as the nose and doesn't even cover the nose in some aspects because they have them curl. They have the curve in the middle. If they go back with and I hate to say it like college full face, full full Lexan face get face guards. That might that might work where they're covering the full face. But the way the face shield is now, it's not stopping players from breathing on each other. Um, I think there's a lot of science that's being ignored in, fa- in favor of, well, fear at this point. Um, and I've seen uh, the there was a Stanford study released recently that shows in any of the population below, I believe it's 65, 70, we're talking uh, fatalities are well under or at or below what the flu is. Um, and that for uh, that the vast majority of people who catch this and get sick, not just the people who are completely asymptomatic, mm-hmm. um, there's no hospitalization required. Um, it's it's an issue. Uh, anyone who's interested, uh, hit me up with a DM on Twitter or message on Facebook, and I can share a couple of the uh, couple of scientific articles I've read. But um, while this is a scary thing, I think that it's mm, it's been made much more scary by being new than the underlying science uh, indicates. As it says here, it says, ultimately, ultimately, and this is Larry Brooks writing it, so ultimately decisions will be made by local governing bodies and public health agencies. For instance, the league had explored Calgary and Edmonton as potential centralized host sites under its four arena plan. But on Thursday, Alberta's chief medical officer of health reiterated that gatherings of 15 or more people would be prohibited until at least September. Wow, I haven't heard anybody shutting stuff down till September until I just read this article. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it's, I, yeah. With the very with the wide and varying shutdown advisories and stay-at-home advisories and and i mean the only real common common element all this is that everybody needs to encourage social distancing but other than that it's different rules for different players here there and everywhere new york shut everything down through june boston's at a stay-at-home advisory which technically ends next monday uh 
you know, there are places that are opening in the south that they're trying to open hair salons or they're going to open hair salons and and movie theaters and, and bowling alleys. And so everywhere that North America is at all kinds of different places when it comes to how to handle this. And all that's going to affect how the NHL opens and where it opens and are there crowds? Aren't there crowds? Are we still going to have players playing in front of nobody? Uh, if players get sick, you know, what kind of rules are there for calling players up? Because once you get to the playoffs, you can't, you can only make so, so many call-ups. And it, it just, how does one thing affect the other? It, it just, it's all still too jumbled for me. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I certainly hope that uh, we get back to normal life soon uh, and that there's a widely accepted scientific basis for it versus the irrational fear-mongering that we've seen so far. Yes. Uh, and back to our draft. <laughs> this draft brought to you by the NHL. <laughs> uh, you have a uh, number 15. Uh, number 15. Oh, goodness. All right. You mentioned him two spots ago. I couldn't disagree. I couldn't. I couldn't agree more. This guy should be on the list. Uh, save percentage and everything else. Uh, backstopping a team to cops. Number 15, Corey Crawford. Number 14, uh, defenseman. I like this guy. I didn't like the team he was on. And as he got, as he moved on to L.A. later in his career, it was, he, it was clear he wasn't the same player. But still big, still physical. Early in his career, put the puck in the net with regularity. Dion Phaneuf. At which number? 14. Okay. Number 13, one of the best centers in the game, one of the best two-way players in the game. Um, unfortunately, the hips did him in. Uh, Ryan Kessler. Hoorah. And, num and number 12, uh, a guy who made more, more headlines here in Boston for his Lack of ice, lack of time on ice, and the fact that he wasn't putting the puck in the net the way he did when he was with St. Louis. But in his time in St. Louis, he was he was a player. Uh, maybe it's a little high for him. Yeah, you can argue it one way and the other. Uh, David Backus. And at number eleven, uh, this guy was taken higher by about ten spots. Uh, but Stanley Cup, and when you backstop a a team in its inaugural season to the final, and have the season that he had in that year, Mark and Andre Fleury, and late in his career, Mark Andre Fleury. Don't get me wrong; I was one of the first guys who ever said that Dainty is a flower. And the other issue with him was that when he let that first goal in, suddenly he let in five. It was like mentally he collapsed. But he did his first what three, four years in the 
in the league, he did not have that mental reset button. Exactly. But it, he did eventually. He turned it around. Gain and, it. And he turned it around and he, he the Penguins are still looking for a goaltender, whether you like Matt Murray or whether you like Tristan Jari or Casey DeSmith. They're still looking for somebody to take over from Marc-Andre Fleury. We, uh, we're we getting to the part of the list where there's going to be a decent amount of similarity. Uh, but having looked at things now, I think we actually only have one player taken in the same spot. Um, I don't think we had any. but We did, um, and I was surprised by that one. Uh, so number 15. Yes. One of the hardest working guys in the sport. Tough, flexible. He played wing. He played center. Um, his fists across Canada tour uh, heading into the Olympics in Vancouver was amazing. Um, David Backus. Yeah. I, I don't know how you don't get him into the top half of this draft. Uh, he was uh, originally taken at number 62. I will be happy to take him at number 15. There you go. Um, number 14 uh, is our overlap player, Dion Phaneuf. Ooh, uh, himself focused. He was legitimately one of the best defensemen in, in the league. Good defensively, good offensively. And completely wasted up. in Toronto. And garbage teams, like total garbage team completely wasted in Toronto put him put him on <sighs> anywhere almost it just Toronto has not it, it goes back to him with this whole they don't have a defense thing he was there but he was by himself it was it, literally it was by himself um <laughs> I can't uh, I mean did I think they added commissaric uh, from Montreal and that was supposed to be the big the big ad that was going to push them over the top. And I mean, he, he did well in, he did well in Calgary. Um, and I mean, he had, what happened, you look what happened to him offensively. I mean, yes, he had a couple of seasons where he was injured, but he had no one to get the puck to his first couple of years in, in Toronto. Exactly. The team was, <laughs> exactly. Moving on. Wipe off your feet before you walk into a house. Um, and Ottawa wasn't any better by the time he got there. Oh, I, I actually forgot about his time in Ottawa. That's right. He went from Toronto to Ottawa to the Kings. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the dude played a lot of minutes. A lot of minutes. Yes. Um, number 13 is a guy who, uh, who actually is only moving up one spot, uh, from where he was originally drafted. Um, high end playoff to performer, very steady guy, um, for a lot of his career made the guy who was frequently next to him look a whole lot. <sighs> I personally think he was, uh-huh. um, Brent Seabrook. Yeah. I love Brent Seabrook. And I've said it all along. Uh, unfortunately, they gave Duncan Keith the Norris Trophy. Uh, but if it wasn't for Brent, Duncan doesn't get that. Uh, Brent Seabrook, it's the it's the Malkin Crosby situation all over again. Yes. Seabrook is the better defenseman. 
but Duncan Keith was the more offensive-minded defenseman, and Seabrook allowed him to do that. And, and um, yeah. let's see. I really, in a lot of ways, I feel about this guy the same way I do about uh, Thomas Vanek. Um, at 12. Okay. At number 12, originally drafted at 17. But, you know, he's, uh, well, they've only kept the stat since the 09-010 season. He's seventh in uh, in the class in points per 60 minutes. Yeah. Uh, Zach Parisi. Like I said, where I put him is probably a little low, but some will argue that uh, some will argue that should be number. He should be in the top five somewhere. I don't see that, but I don't see it either. But I'm willing to listen. Okay. And at number eleven, drum roll. Number eleven, I expect this may be the most controversial pick uh, (laughs) in my draft board. Uh huh. And I don't care uh, because I watched the man play enough to. Firmly, firmly believe this. Um, I think arguably after Weber or maybe even equal to Weber, um, he's the best defensive defenseman in the draft. Uh, He spent most of his career looking good on very bad teams. I mean, teams that if they were playing in Europe would have been relegated, some repeatedly. Um, Mark Mathot. Definitely got him higher than I had him, uh, and you put him a little bit higher than I probably would. I mean, I had him at 16. Yeah, it's okay. So, I mean, five spots five spots lower. I'm not arguing with his abilities. I'm not arguing with uh, – I mean, his his defensive prowess is, is second or third to none. Uh, I just – I uh, he's one of those guys that – yeah, you can make the argument that he should fit at 11. You can make the argument that he should be down at 16, somewhere in that five or six spot range. And I'm willing to listen. And, yeah, maybe I could be convinced to move him up a little bit. Uh, See, I, still- I, he, I'm not saying he landed in this spot accidentally, but I couldn't justify putting him in the top 10. Agreed. I couldn't justify putting him any lower than, like, 18. Right. I wasn't going to put him in the bottom third either. He and go, when he I looked at some it. of the guys between Kessler and, uh, the number, and the number 10 spot, the only guy I even considered as a better, uh, as a better fit for this spot was Brent Seabrook. And that's because, uh, and I picked Mathot because he still looked good on very bad teams, whereas Brent Seabrook, for most of his career, had a really good defensive core around him. Agreed. Um, and uh, so we're finally at our top ten. Uh, why don't you do your next uh, five? Number ten, and you've already mentioned this guy. I've said how much I love this guy. Uh if I were to ever get the defense that I wanted, if I were an NHL GM, you couldn't afford any other players after my defense. Um, Brent Seabrook at number 10. I, I I wanted him in the top 10. I didn't know that he should go higher than where he is. And we're close, obviously. You had him, what, two picks below that. So uh, 
at number nine, another defenseman. And this guy, he's another hybrid uh, like Brent Burns where he's he's played wing as well. The difference is that Dustin Bufflin, when he plays defense, plays defense. Uh, and does it well. And does it well. And, and the physical aspect of his game. Uh, I, how many guys can literally – I mean I've seen Chara do it. But how many guys can sit there and hold off two guys? <laughs> well, not just try- two guys, but two guys who are around the 200-pound mark themselves. I mean, I'm sorry that he lost a year. I'm glad that they finally got something sorted in Winnipeg, whether it was uh, a quickie divorce or however they handled it, uh, whether it was a mutual parting of the ways, as they say. He mutually agreed to terminate his contract. I'm just glad that he's going to have the ability to come back and play. I didn't know whether he was done or if it was an injury or a mindset. Hopefully he comes back and plays at the level that he was playing at before he missed this season. Uh, at number eight, I, yeah, he's fallen off offensively in the last couple of years, but he's been key in L.A. for better part of a half decade now. Uh, and I like him at center. I, I, I've always liked this guy, Jeff Carter. Interesting. Really? Okay. Might have to discuss that one. I'm not saying anything. All right. I said one word and you get all defensive. Wow. No, just the way you said interesting. At number six, uh, okay, the smile on my face because another one of my favorites. Uh, I've made no, no, I don't hide this one at all. This guy has been screwed for a Norris Trophy for his whole career, pretty much. Uh, Shea Weber. Okay, I can live with that one. Uh, you don't have him in the same spot that I have him, but it's okay. All right, so number 10. Number 10. Um, flat out one of the steadiest producers in the last couple of decades. Um, jumping very nearly 200 spots. Joe Pavelski. I skipped number seven. What's your number seven? Joe Pavelski. <laughs> I knew I skipped somebody because I only did four names. At number so seven, Joe Pavelski. How this guy is not – I mean, and, and whether you got him at 10, I got him at seven, we're close. How this guy – it had to have been a size thing. Well, uh, keep in really, mind, could not skate for his first couple of years. But this guy is just – I mean – you want to talk workhorse, and he's played all three forward positions, and he's not nearly as bad in the faceoff dot as led to believe when he started out. Uh, he was the heart and soul of San Jose. Uh, yeah, and Joe Pavelski. So I had him at seven. You got him at ten. Go ahead. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Yes, you did. Of course I did. I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, originally drafted in the top five, um, but -hmm. between back issues and a concussion, I think a borderline hollow career for, uh, for this power forward was halted. Um, that and time on a completely terrible team, uh, somewhere in the Sunbelt in his early prime, 
Um, Nathan Horton. That's a guy I left off my list. I knew I missed somebody. Yes, yes, you did, and you should feel great shame. Great, I do. Shame. I do, especially since his best, especially since the best move of his career was turning the Vancouver ice into Boston ice. <laughs> Uh, um, let's see where else are, um, this guy, I honestly almost put, uh, outside the top 10, um, Mm -hmm. drafted towards the end of the, towards the end of the first round initially. Um, and I think that, you know, the last three or four years are what biased me, biased me towards moving him down. Mm-hmm. But when he was healthy, he was arguably the best power forward in the league. Um, I'm not sure that you could make an argument for a better uh, power forward across more more years of his career than Corey Perry. Um, even even though time and injuries have caught up with him. So at number eight, yeah, uh, Corey Perry. Uh, he was physical. He was mean. He was an agitator. Uh, he scored with regularity. The team relied on him and got their money's worth out of him. Um, he uh, relied on him on his teammate because they didn't have anybody else. <laughs> um, but that he was one half of one of the two or three best pairings, uh, forward pairings uh, we've seen in the past 15 plus years. Oh, absolutely. Um. Number seven. Yes, the one I skipped. Uh, he has moved up a couple of uh, a couple of places from his original draft pick, uh, a selection. Mm-hmm. Uh, very strong uh, player, good in both zones, good in the faceoff circle. Has gotten it done with a n- number of very very different line mates across his career. Um, uh, Mr. Jeff Carter. You put him. You put him one spot higher than me. Wow. <laughs> how can you not like? How can you not like Jeff Carter? He's part of one of the most entertaining lines. I mean, that '70s line in L.A. with with Tyler Toffoli and and Tanner Pearson for for the better part of two seasons, two and a half seasons, they were fairly dominant. I'm not going to say they're, they're they're certainly not. They're certainly not Martian, Bergeron, Pasternak, but they were a scary line. They were. I mean, when you heard about – when you saw the 370s jumping over the boards, yeah, it was going to be tough. And, and and the thing with them is they're not they're not all finesse and, and, and guile. They were power. Jeff Forward was a, a – a, Power center. I mean, I mean Jeff. Yeah, Jeff Ford, Jeff Carter, uh, Tyler Toffoli, not a small man. Tanner Pearson, probably the deftest of the three. Tyler Toffoli was pretty good with his hands, but when they came out on the ice and and you see them split apart, they're not. That's a line that was better than the sum of its parts. Oh, I agree. Um. Number six is another pick I expect to catch flack on. Um, certain people who hate the city this guy is most known for playing in uh, will <laughs> say that he should probably be at least five spots lower. Okay. Um, 
this guy has played 20% more games than any other goalies in the draft. That's a lot of minutes, a lot of minutes. Uh, you talked about him a couple of minutes ago. Um, he did slide um, in my draft versus his original one because, quite frankly, his stats are not particularly great. But he's had to do more with less for a lot of his career. Than, Sorry, who did he have defensively in front of him? Okay, thank you. Mark <laughs> um, andre Fleury uh, at number six. Yeah, I talked about him. I, I Mark andre Fleury. And, and, and I don't want to pick on – I mean, Toronto was a team that defensively challenged. Pittsburgh is another team. They, they, they build on their offense. They, they rely on their offense to score goals. Yes, they have Chris Letang. Um, but then again, San Jose has Brent Burns. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and neither. I think Chris Letang is a better defenseman than Brent Burns. That being said, I still don't believe that Chris Letang is. Uh, he's one of the. He's one that we would call a Dino defenseman in name only. Yes. <laughs> and he didn't. I don't. I just don't think that Mark Andre Fleury had the defense in front of him. He had to do a lot of it on his own. No, he did, and I don't know that. Well, we we can save our discussion of the faults of that team for another day, um, and it's definitely a conversation to have. Um, okay, shoot uh, your top five, and uh, all right, top, top five. Uh, you talked about him a few a couple of picks ago. I don't know that I'd call him the power forward. I thought that his teammate was more the power forward. Uh, but, yes, number five, Scory Perry. I mean, this is a guy who, when he came when, when, when he came to Anaheim, it was at a time where they needed, they needed a lift and offensively, and he brought it. Number four, and you keep saying most controversial, most controversial. This is controversial, and I – I, I don't want to say I did it for that reason. My top five, uh, when I first started looking at, at this draft, I I wasn't sure how to gauge it. And I tried to figure out, okay, well, what teams are picking at what spots and who needs what and this and that. Clearly not the way I should have gone. So my first five picks are, are at a different guide from the rest of the draft. But at number four, and clearly he shouldn't be number four, but Patrice Bergeron. <laughs> Interesting. At number three, um, another defenseman. I know you had him down a little bit, but uh, Ryan, this guy plays crazy minutes, has played crazy minutes throughout his career, has been the most relied upon. He was a leader in Nashville, uh, Ryan Suter. Yeah, I, I I understand I understand the pick. I don't necessarily agree with the pick, but I understand the pick. Like I said, the the top my top five are. I was looking at the team like at number at number two, and this is the guy I consider the power forward in Anaheim when they took Corey Perry. Uh, but at number two, Ryan Getzlaff. Getzlaff and Perry are like. Bartles and James, <laughs> you know, they have to go together to make the product. 
<laughs> I don't know that Corey Perry is uh, succeeding. It, it, clearly, he's older now, and but being in Dallas and not being with with Getzlaff just it's it doesn't sound right. It's like it shouldn't happen. Yeah, it's very strange to see him in a different uniform, um, but it had to happen eventually. And that leaves my number one pick, and this guy, long time in Carolina, and then when he moved on to Minnesota, uh, more of a resurgence, uh, terror in the, in the face-off circle for, for his opponents, a uh, 200-foot player that I don't know that he gets recognized for it, Eric Stahl. Uh, I really, really, really don't like want I, to say that that pick is wrong, but that pick is wrong. And I understand why. I mean, clearly the best two-way forward of all time is in this draft and should be at number one. And I don't know what I was thinking, except, like I said, when no, I no, started. No, 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 no. Even, even if you ignore Patrice Bergeron, I, would, I can think of at least two other players that I would take ahead of Eric Stahl. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's your um, top five, so let's Eric, have it. Eric Stahl was not, as much as I like him, and mm-hmm. I've always really liked him, he's never been a – I'm not sure that he's ever consistently been a pivotal player. Like the 08 really? playoff series where I believe they crushed the Bruins in that – obnoxious uh, Montador and uh, what was his name? Dennis, whatever is being on the ice for that last goal and doing nothing with it rolling in on that. Okay. Uh, Weidman, Dennis Weidman, Dennis Weidman. Yeah. Weidman and Montador as an, uh, as a pairing should never ever. (laughs) Um, The the exact opposite of Corey Perry and, Ryan gets that. <laughs> um, and if you're going to talk about the last 15, 20 years of on ice pairings, yeah, it's Perry gets laugh, the Sedin twins and Bergeron and Marsh and yeah, as the three pairs you have to start and end any conversation with for best forward pairings over that time. So, so your argument against Eric Stahl, uh, is what lack of individual awards. Ah, uh, okay. He was never the best at anything in the league. Um, and even, I mean, yes, he has more points than anyone in the draft class. And that's huge. Um, especially this. That's draft not why draft. I put him at number one, but okay. Um, and yeah, he's been durable as all get out. He's played, Almost 200 more games than uh, than Getzlaff has, um, mm-hmm. but if if I'm asking if you're if you're asking me uh, in order to in order to be that number one, if you're asking me is this the guy I want on the ice? We have one we have a one goal lead and uh, it's uh, we have 20 seconds left and the other team has. Malkin or Crosby or McDavid on the ice. Is this the, is this the guy I'm putting out there? Um, 
to oppose them. Is this the guy I want on the ice trying to make that last goal? I'm not sure that I'd pick him. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with him. I really like him. As a top five pick, I don't argue with it. Um, But as a number one pick, I do. Um, But my top five. Go right ahead. Most goals, most games, most regular season points in the draft, second in assists. Postseason numbers are only okay. No individual awards. Eric Stahl. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, number four, you've talked about this guy. Um, I've talked about this guy. We've talked about this guy on the air a number of times. Um, I've written about this guy. I think you've written about this guy. This guy should own at least two Norris trophies by now. The one, the only (laughs) two ever. Number three. Yeah. A guy who I legitimately almost put at number one. Really? I find that hard to believe. I don't care. You could try and sell me on it, but go ahead. I said almost. I I, I considered. Our I, listeners know who your number one is. It's not two. like it's going to be a surprise. So go ahead. I actually consider the guy in the number six spot. Um, but I can I consider him the most versatile and complete defenseman in the draft. Weber is definitely better defensively, but offensively, Dustin Bufflin. Uh, no, uh, he's, uh, uh, he plays every inch of the ice. He's capable of completely dominating a game, uh, better points per game than Shea Weber. Um, uh, so jumping up 242 <laughs> spots, Dustin Bufflin. Okay. Um, and I I will stand by him as a top five pick against any arguments. So you want? I don't have an I don't have a disagreement with him. A top five is fine for me with Dustin Buckland. Argument on that one? Come see me. If somebody else has an issue with it, absolutely. But okay. Uh, number two, uh, 2011 Hart Trophy winner. Uh, the only guy in this draft to actually win a Hart Trophy, um, which is bloody amazing, honestly. That's because they screwed Bergeron out of it a few seasons ago. Um, originally drafted 19th, one half of one of the power pairings uh, of the last quarter century. Um, truly a really gifted player. Like, elite. I'm not interested in any arguments against him going into the Hall of Fame. Literally not interested. You can talk. You can text. You can instant message me on whatever platform you can find me and I will just hit mute and and (laughs) will you say something that makes sense I get slapped and you're not going to get an argument for me because oh wait yeah I draft him in the same spot so we have exactly two overlaps in 31 come on tell us your number one and then we can all go ooh ah most individual awards of any player in this draft. Mm-hmm. He had team success at the NHL level, the Olympics, the World Juniors. Third in the draft in points, third in assists. Um, only three, uh, only three forwards from this class have spent more of their time shorthanded. Multiple thirty goal seasons. The one, the only, Mister Selkie, Patrice Bergeron. 
and yeah, nobody's – if there is somebody out there who's willing to argue that point, uh, I do believe there's a there, – there was a thing that used to happen on NCIS when when Dinozo screwed up. He used to get that upside the back of his head. That marvelous little gib slap, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and at work, we used to do that to each other when somebody would commit a Dinozo. So that's what we called it. And if you're willing to argue the point that Bergeron should be at number one, you're going to get a Denozo. You're going to get a I See, I honestly didn't expect to pick him when I first sat down. Yes, you did. No, actually, I didn't. I okay. was going to take him, like, second or third. Um, but when you count individual success as is important in drafting an individual, um, Bergeron has played – on some truly god-awful teams. He has played with some truly god-awful line mates. Um, and he's still top three in the t- uh, in this draft class in points. We know what he does defensively. We know what he does uh, at the center dot. We know about his concussion. There he goes. Event his career. The second concussion possibly should have ended his career. Yeah, uh, we know about the injuries he's played through, and I'm not saying other guys haven't, but total package. I I couldn't talk myself out of it. The only guy, I mean, the only guy I can make an argument for that's had more wingers than him is is David Krejci. <laughs> yeah, David um, Krejci's like David Krejci's like the guy where they where Julian tested everybody. If they got a player. They put him on Krejci's line first to see what happened. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you can make a good case for uh, Jeff Carter having the same cast of thousands and on his Jeff way. Jeff Carter's another one, yeah. It, it, I mean, don't get me wrong. Bergeron has his, has had his fair share, but once they found him, once they found Marshawn, or once they, once they discovered the chemistry between those two, yeah. it made it a hell of a lot easier. They haven't. The Bruins have never found that chemistry with Krejci and somebody else. Well, no, they have. It's just that those that chemistry has been short lived. Okay, uh, yeah. Um, I can see that. Suffered those injuries. Krejci, uh, I mean, Krejci has had his own injury history. Um, well, Kessel was with Savard for most of the time that he was here, but um, him and Krejci played together because. Uh, and let's see, Sagan was on that line, on Krejci's line for a little bit. Um, but yeah, David Krejci has seen a huge number of guys roll through both wings. And I, I think Jake DeBrusque may be edging in on the top, uh, uh, to, into the top five uh, or even top three for games played with David Krejci uh, as a winger at this point. And he's, what, three years out of his draft? Four? Mm-hmm. Um, so there is my draft board. Um, I am going to post the link um, and let people tell me what they think. Uh, I can have, have mine. I, you can have mine as well, even though I already know what people are going to think. You have an idea anyway. <laughs> um, I put... Clearly, he was half asleep. Uh, I put my basic assumptions 
at the top. Um, and I'm going to stand by them. I, I think that that, I think that we had, uh, a lot to choose from. If we were drafting two rounds, I probably would have taken even lo- uh, three times as long. Um, because well, there's, yeah, j- well, then it gets very interesting. You step down into the next 30 picks. Yes. I mean, you step down into the next 30 picks and I add, uh, I have to add Lee Stepniak. I actually ended up leaving uh, Tobias Enstrom out of this list, which surprised me because I thought I had put him in. Um, I I just, uh, Tobias to me, just, he was one, another one of those players that, yeah, he wasn't, he didn't light up the board. He didn't, but he just, he was a stalwart defenseman. He, he did his job and did it well, and I, I couldn't not put him in there. I mean, maybe I put him a little higher than I – I mean, at 26. Yeah. But, yeah, got him in there. I mean, there, there are so many – and it doesn't matter. You drafted. I drafted. Uh, Joe Schmo down the street does his own. With, with the exception of maybe one or two places or maybe three, it, it's going to be different for everybody. And – you can argue it back and forth, and, and unless you put somebody like Hugh Jessamine in there, it, are you really wrong? And as much work as this was, I had a lot of fun doing it. It was frustrating at times, but yeah, overall, I'd have to say I enjoyed it. I mean, just going back and looking at some of the stats and being reminded of how good some players really, really were. Oh, my God, yeah. And <laughs> Um, so that means the next draft that we're going to do is going to be the 2013 draft. <laughs> yes, but we're going to do it uh, 17 years after, just like this one. Well, regardless of whether it's now or 17 years from now, anybody who wants to argue that Seth Jones should have gone fourth needs to get a Denozo as well. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying Nathan McKinnon shouldn't go first, but Seth Jones should not be fourth. <laughs> I mean, that was that was actually an interesting. Uh, that that actually is an intriguing draft. Yes, it's not been long enough, but some of the players that are emerging from that draft, uh, you got a Nathan McKinnon, you got Barkoff, Drewen for all of his temper tantrums and everything else is a talent. And I think that if he finds someplace steady, he'll show that talent. Uh, Seth Jones clearly should not have been fourth. Elias Lindholm is better than, uh, I mean, at fifth. But in Carolina, he didn't show what he could do And when he got to Calgary and playing with his teammate who was picked sixth and Sean Monaghan. Uh, Darnell Nurse, Ristolainen. And these uh, that's just players in the top ten. Yeah. <laughs> So you could um, actually turn around at some point. It's never going to be the 03 draft, but it's an intriguing draft in and of itself. Absolutely. Uh, something to really talk about quick. Yeah, um, go ahead. Both of us watched it. Um, I found it <laughs> interesting. Um, I'm 100% aware that it would never make it onto network TV um, and even some cable oh. networks. They'd have uh, but to, la- uh, last week, the Boston Bruins did a Zoom 
conference uh, of the 2011 uh, Boston Bruins uh, team. They had almost everyone from the team. Uh, Nathan Horton was conspicuous by his absence and possibly roasted more than anyone on the on the his team. absence was certainly noted by his teammates. <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, best known location for him is the moon. Um, and, and, and apparently uh, Michael Ryder can't tell time or he's in some other time zone. Mike uh, Ryder, oh, God, they they roasted him for a good five minutes about well, being he's in, Newf- he's, in, he's in Newfoundland, I believe, which is slightly ahead of us time wise here in Boston. Half hour thing. Yeah, the yeah. whole half hour thing. That was too funny. Uh, yeah, get get the guys together when it isn't family night, which I thought it was interesting. Johnny Boychuk had his his daughters there and his 16-month-old. Uh, I thought it was scary when Tugaras tried to trade boys for girls with uh, – <laughs> was. was it was it Peverly or Ryder? <laughs> um. Cabriolet was yelling at people to use mute or a headset, which was <laughs> now there are some of some of our listeners who I'm sure have never been on a Zoom cast or other teleconference where people are presenting stuff. This was literally every one of them with alcohol and no boundaries. That was the that that might have been the key ingredient was the the alcohol. Um, Milan, other Milan had himself a little magnum of of wine, and uh, I'm pretty certain he finished it before the end of the uh, before the end of the uh, uh, the game. At they one were point, watching of, it or for the some in some cases, uh, like Bergeron and Chara had not watched it, had not watched the entire game uh, since uh, since they played it. And the two of them were clearly engrossed. They were eloquent when they spoke. Um, yes. Uh, Peverly talked about people jumping on the cab he and Marshan shared in <laughs> their way to that game, which not a story that I remember, but absolutely hilarious. Wait, I thought I thought the mention of Thomas Caverly taking a shot with his mini stick. Oh, I almost fell out of my chair. I legitimately had to hit pause because I was laughing so hard. And my favorite, my favorite of the night, and we discussed this pre-show, my favorite of the night had to be the discussion about um, how goaltenders were hit more back then than they are now. Uh, And now you can't touch them. That was, that was beautiful. And of course the mention had, of course the mention had to be, and I prayed for this, but the mention had to be, or or the statement somebody made was, uh, yeah, go ask Lucic about that. <laughs> um, you can find it on YouTube. It's pretty easy to find. Uh, there is a lot of swearing that starts at about the 19-minute mark and gets worse uh, as the uh, consumables are consumed. If um, possible, do try to uh, open a second window and actually watch the game while you're listening to them. I mean, it's entertaining on its own, yes. but they spend a lot of – the one thing they do spend a lot of time, and somehow Milan got appointed as, as the official timekeeper. Uh, every every few minutes they were asking him where he was at uh, 
on the game clock and and it it becomes a little bit they they do actually talk about the game at one point they made a comment somebody made a comment i don't know if it was rex or 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 marshy or somebody said uh yeah we haven't said anything about the game and they did they went like 15 or 20 minutes without mentioning anything which was going on in game yeah and then so it it does it does help if you're watching the game because they do mention times and they and they talk about Bergeron's goal uh, when he supposedly batted in with his hand and and Luch was saying that he talked to people in Vancouver uh, who clearly felt that uh, the bias was in and that they that we bought the that the Bruins bought the Stanley Cup and all this. Uh, so if you can do it, watch it while you're listening to them. But it is entertaining both ways. <laughs> um, Tyler, uh, hold your uh, – uh, let me know if you've heard this one before. Tyler Sagan was late. <laughs> Ryder was later. <laughs> Ryder showed up 21 minutes after they started recording. Um, something happened about 32 minutes, 33 minutes in, where they all started texting each other. And I don't know what was said or sent, but all of them started laughing, like all of them at once. You could see and hear the phones go off, come up, and it was just hilarious. Oh, uh, they were chirping on each other. There was hair, talks about haircuts and and whose hair and, 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 and sides clearly is bald, and he was when he played here. Uh, so... I don't know if that was there, – there was some chirping about, about hair and, and hairstyles and – Oh, they – Kelly was ripping on uh, Marchand about his uh, hairline for a good few minutes. <laughs> yes. And they were also saying that because Marchand was sitting in the dark, he was hiding in a blind and, and he, <laughs> he's not in his house. He's in a blind. He's, a, he's hunting. Um, he's, <laughs> oh, God. Who else? Oh, Chris Kelly talked more, I think, in that two hours than he did in like the two years he was here in Boston. At one point, he said. At one point, he he jokingly said that he stayed on the ice because he was trying to get his ice time up. <laughs> uh, oh, that that was fun. Um, and but like legitimately, maybe he isn't when he's uh, completely sober. But Milan Lucic came across as the biggest squishiest teddy bear. Uh, around like he loved everybody oh well yeah yeah i think he is a squishy teddy bear when not on the ice um it, it, it was and the I thing think that, having i think having daughters will do that to you doesn't he have daughters i don't remember or a uh, daughter i know he has one child and i think it's a girl the first one was definitely a girl um where was I? Oh, one of the things that was uh, interesting that Lucic said fairly early um, was that he felt that the start of Game 7 was the calmest that they had been uh, in the locker room the entire series. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it may be because they brutalized um, in pretty much every sense uh, uh, Vancouver in Game 6 and arguably played their best game of the playoffs. Um, and they said that at the beginning. They both said that 
game six was the, was their best game up to that point. Um, see, I think that 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 is true. People will say, oh, but game seven they got a shutout. Vancouver mm, did not put forth their best effort. Uh, the TV guys, I remember at the time talking oh, about how injured Vancouver was during that series and everyone's playing hurt and uh, Recky was talking about, yeah, they didn't see our locker room. <laughs> he just flat out dismissed it all. It, it just, and, and at one point they had mentioned that in game seven that they were – they were having their way with, and and I don't know if it was boasting or if it was true, but somebody said that they were actually having their way, especially in face-offs, they were having their way with Vancouver in Game 7. I think by the end of the, by the middle of the second period, that game was largely over. I think it was, yeah, when they scored the second goal, I think that was pretty much it. Um... The third, the third goal was clearly the final nail in the coffin. At that point, you could see there, you could visibly see Vancouver players hanging heads, and after the third goal, but I think it was over after the second goal. And from the way that the media talked about him, uh, and I'm looking at a certain um, New England sports uh, personality and former writer um, mm-hmm. in particular. Uh, a guy who I've uh, occasionally called a puppet for the Bruins front office. But um, yes, go ahead. the team talked with and to Thomas, they're still a lot closer than the media would have had you believe during his last year here and or in the two or three years after he left. The media would have you believe that the Bruins – of the team when he left did not like him or were not happy with him or, but that's clearly not the case. If you watch this video, there's still a camaraderie there. There's still a, I mean, they were talking about how Thomas saved their uh, behinds. And, And even Thomas was like, yeah, I don't quite see it that way. And they're like, no, no, you did. No, you did. No, you did. And yeah, he was he was equally complimentary of the team. Um, he talked about a couple of individual guys, mm-hmm. uh, and I just found I just found it really comfortable and really rewarding to see the guys together and virtually together and so comfortable with each other. And just to I, put up. I tend to avoid paying attention to what most players uh, in any sport are doing off the ice because, honestly, it's not really my business, and it's not why I'm paying attention to them in the first place. Yeah. Uh, So to have two hours plus while they watched a great game um, and have them, you know, acting like guys who would really enjoy being in each other's company – um, it, it was nice to see. It, it adds a it adds a layer to that experience of watching that entire season. And I'm gonna put a final spin on it for me. Uh, it was nice to see Daniel Pae. Yes, after having to retire due to concussions and the way his 
last shift on ice went. He wasn't able to. It was nice to see him. He looked good. Uh, he didn't say a whole lot, as far as I could tell. No, he didn't. Um, but it was nice to see him, and I wish him nothing but the best as far as uh, his recovery. It's not something that I would ever want to go through. Uh, the hit that he took and 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 the concussion the the post concussion symptoms that he's going through, uh, not fun. So it was good to see him. He looked good, and like I said, wish him nothing but the best. Um. All of them. Uh, Peverly looking good and not apparently. Peverly's another one, yeah. Issues that uh, ended his career. Uh, another one. Um, and Tim Thomas. We could, talk for, we could talk for a while longer about this, and I'll be happy to talk with anyone who wants to uh, send me a message on Twitter. Um, but, yeah, it, it was a really fun thing to watch, and even if it wasn't, what else do you have to do with your time? Uh for the next couple of weeks or so. Um, I think that's everything we have time to cover this week. Uh, we covered quite a bit, I think. Yeah, uh, the draft took about as long as I was expecting. and um, but, we, but again, we expected that. So. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Um, I mentioned last week that if you wanted to tweet us your top ten uh, picks for the draft, we would be happy to talk about them. You've now, you'll now have heard our lists, and I will post them both to uh, my page, uh, links to the Google Docs. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, as always, Chris, anything else? Uh, don't forget to wash your hands. <laughs>